morning. Uh, my name is Hojin, and I am the young adult pastor here at Cornerstone. And today I have the privilege of sharing God's word. Uh, so I'm going to need some audience participation. Um, where do you stand on life's great debates? Life's greatest, most important debates. Are you team iPhone or are you team Android? Anyone not care? <laughs> How about this one? Pineapple on pizza or no pineapple on pizza? What about West Coast versus East Coast? <laughs> I went to college. I'm not from, <laughs> geez. <laughs> I'm not from the Midwest. I'm very much East Coast, but Midwest gets my love. I went to school there. So all you Midwesterners and then Southern people, thanks for being here too. <laughs> Here's one that's really controversial. Are you team over or are you team under? Team over or team under? This is, marriages get messed up by this. I found this to be the definitive word. All of you who don't replace a toilet paper roll, I don't know like, what to think about you. <laughs> While these debates are unlikely to create serious consequences, maybe for some of you they do, what if I said, what if I decided that we couldn't be friends unless you agreed with me on every single issue? What if, we said, what if I said we can't hang out unless... We, we align to this. What if I said we can't be at the same church? What if I treated you differently, looked down on you because of our opinions? We are in the last two Sundays, today and then next week, in our series of Romans. And Apostle Paul has been writing to the Roman believers. And last week, our brother Chris shared about the need to live out and show sincere love to one another and how that was so critical to living as the saved people of God, the righteous people of God. And we get to chapters 14 and 15 and Apostle Paul knows about a situation where the believers are fighting about opinions, differing opinions and there's disunity, there's division, there's quarreling, fighting. And the Apostle Paul wants to address this very specific situation and wants them to show sincere love in this particular issue. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Romans chapter 14 and 15. Romans chapters 14 and 15. Pastor Bill will close our series next week, and then we're going to start a six-week series on worship afterwards. So I hope you get excited for that. Romans chapter 14 and 15. If you don't have your Bibles, you can read along with me above. We're going to start with verse, verse 1 of chapter 14. We're going to skip around, so follow along. Verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. 
Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And then we're going to skip to verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. I know, and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother or sister is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And then we're going to skip all the way over to chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray briefly before we continue. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that we would draw from Scripture exactly what you want us to learn, what exactly you want us to hear. We do pray for this community, this church, to know what it means to glorify you with one voice through this Sunday. So use all of us, me, everyone here, make us hungry for your word. Make us malleable, make us moldable, so that we will be transformed because of who you are, what you say, not necessarily who I am or what I say. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in Romans 14 and 15, what, what is going on? Talking about food, talking about vegetables, what is going on? There's two groups of believers that are disagreeing. They're disputing. They were the strong in the faith. And these people probably gave themselves this name, the strong in the faith. And then they called the other group the weak in the faith. The strong understood that they had freedom in Christ based on what he taught in scriptures to eat anything, even the things that were ritually unclean previously. The weak... They were not as convinced. They believed that they needed to follow all of the the laws from prior to Jesus' coming and that they needed to carefully obey every single rule. So this included eating meat in in maybe layman's terms. It's like kosher versus not kosher. The weak decided that they needed to observe all of the religious holidays, the Jewish holidays, And on top of that, the weak would not drink any wine because the strong were 
drinking wine potentially offered to idols. So in a general sense, this is what's happening. These are the issues that they're fighting over. The strong had a broader view, a more robust view of faith in Jesus, while the weak had a very narrow view of what obedience to Jesus looked like. The Roman believers were debating and being divided over matters that were neutral, matters that were not essential. So Apostle Paul has been talking about sincere love, and he gets to this point, and he knows that they're fighting over things that are not essential, and he is asking them to love one another. And for us, modern-day examples, right? We, you know, I don't know how many of us fight over meat and veggies or Jewish holidays and celebrate whenever you want or wine or no wine. But for us, it might be maybe the types of movies and shows that we watch, the type of music we listen to, the hobbies we engage in, the way we spend our money, the way we date our significant other, the way we treat substances, right, alcohol, drugs. There are varying opinions amongst believers. They're, they're real believers. They're, we're going to worship next to people who, in heaven who may not agree with everything that we believe in. But at the core, these two groups believed in Jesus. They believed that he came to save, he, that righteousness is only through him. So Apostle Paul, he writes this huge chunk at the end of the letter, 14 verse 1 to 15 verse 7, and it's bookended with this command, welcome one another, welcome one another. And we use this word welcome sometimes in the most vanilla like boring way as we greet one another. But here, it literally means to take to yourself. Bring closer to yourself. It's, it's not just saying hi and being nice. It's saying, it's, it's active grasping and bringing it closer to you. Apostle Paul wants the believers in Rome to love one another in a way that promotes unity, that preserves unity with one another in spite of differing opinions. So again, these are neutral matters. Apostle Paul has been super clear about sin up until now. These are neutral, non-essential, disputable matters. We must preserve unity within the family of God. We must preserve within the family of God. And that's a word for us here at Cornerstone. And if you're just visiting, it's for the church that you go to next week. And Apostle Paul shares three principles on how we do this. And it's two don'ts and one do. Two don'ts and one do. The first is do not judge or despise. Do not judge or despise. The first principle is within the family of God, we have differing opinions. We must not judge each other. We must not despise each other. In verses two and three, Apostle Paul it's talking about the two groups, right? One person believes he can eat anything. Another person can, believes that he can only eat vegetables. And here's the command. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. That word despise is to ridicule, to mock, to look down. And then he says, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. To judge is to, to condemn, 
to declare something as right or wrong when these are matters that are gray. The damage of judging and despising one another is not just about the interpersonal relationship. Apostle Paul makes it really clear in chapter 14 why it's so dangerous to judge one another. In verses 10 to 12, he writes, Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, and he quotes Old Testament scripture, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. On matters of differing opinion, why are we despising each other? Why are we judging each other? That's between that person and God. And this is, again, mattering, uh, matters of just opinions. This is not about truth and lies, about obedience and sin. When we judge and despise one another, and we do it a lot, don't we? I know I do it. It's an act of overthrowing God. When Apostle Paul says, why do you pass judgment? Why do you despise? He's saying, don't take the place of God. It's as if we say, God, hey, can you get out of the way? Your judgment was not right. I think I know better. God is the only one who can see our motivations. He's the only one who can see our desires in in these morally neutral issues. And when we judge and despise each other, what ultimately happens is that we tend to divide and separate over each other, with each other. There's an anonymous poem. It reads, Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess." Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink but what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. When we judge and despise each other, we're essentially saying this within the family of God to one another. If you and I, we're not on the same page, You do you, I do me, right? But that's not sincere love as described in Scripture. This unity amongst Christians is one of the most compelling reasons for people to not want to come to church. When you and I judge each other, look down on each other, we actively discredit the gospel work in our own lives, and then we discredit God's reputation to the world. We actively give those who don't know Jesus a reason to not get to know him. And as individuals in these matters of opinions, we are called to examine our own hearts, our own motives and desires, and to live with a clear conscience before God. As a spiritual family, we must not judge or despise each other. Alexander Campbell a great church leader in the early 1800s, he had serious disagreements with another pastor he knew. They were 
theological issues. And he writes a long letter disputing his case, what he thinks. And this is what he writes at the end of the letter. If you and I should never approximate higher to each other in our views, in other words, if you and I never work this out, I would nevertheless still love and esteem you as a Christian, as a citizen of heaven. When we judge and despise each other, we don't uphold the dignity of one another. We diminish their value. We, we doubt their, their faith. Easiest way to break unity is to judge and despise each other. Second principle is do not stumble or destroy. Do not stumble or destroy. Apostle Paul has an extra word for those who are strong in the faith. Those who are exercising freedom in Christ, who believe that they don't have to follow every single law to the T. And to these folks, he says, in your freedom, don't stumble another. Don't destroy others within the family of God. In verse 13 and 15 of chapter 14, Apostle Paul writes, decide, commit, choose, Never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. Sometimes I think Christians are the most unfunny people in the world. We joke around and say, hey, don't stumble me when someone is doing maybe something silly. But stumbling block here, it means something carelessly left about over which somebody else falls. Something carelessly left about over someone else falls. Hindrance is something deliberately left to ensnare another. So whether intentional or unintentional, or rather unintentional or intentional, the strong in the faith, those who understand that they have freedom in Christ, are not to cause spiritual harm to their spiritual siblings. Even if they're not committing any wrong before God's eyes, they have to be vigilant about caring for their brothers and sisters. You could be, quote-unquote, right, but simultaneously be unloving. That's what Apostle Paul is saying here. There's There's an Instagram account, and please... Please hear me out. Don't look it up while I'm sharing with you. I want to share my experience of it. There's an Instagram account that was highlighted in the New York Times in April for posting pictures of famous Christian leaders, pastors, worship leaders, side by side, side by side with screenshots of prices of their clothing. It has over 191,000 followers. And reading the article, looking at the account, made me think a lot of things and feel a lot of things. And I'll show you a couple. I've kind of uh, covered up the faces because I don't think it's fair to some of these leaders. This pastor is shown to be wearing a Gucci jacket worth $3,600. Another Christian leader is exposed to be wearing a pair of Air Yeezys. I don't even know what those are. (laughs) Worth $5,600. 
another pastor, well-known pastor, is shown to be wearing a $9,600 Supreme and Louis, Louis Vuitton jacket. My gut reaction was, are these people wrong to wear these things? Are they wrong? Think about it for a moment. The weak in the faith would say, for sure, Christian leaders should not be wearing articles of clothing or shoes that cost thousands of, thousands of dollars. Christian leaders should use that money in better ways, like giving to those who are in need. They are displaying vanity and it's bad represent, representation of following Jesus. That's what weak in the faith, that's what it looks like to despise the strong. The strong in the faith, however, might see this as an area of freedom. And these are my thoughts. What if these leaders are receiving these as gifts? And actually those Yeezys were a gift. And what if they don't know exactly how much they cost? Shouldn't there be freedom for believers to enjoy nice things? As long as they're not idolizing money and possessions, are they not allowed to enjoy these things? That's what it looks like for the strong to maybe despise the weak. And I have an opinion, a strong one, you can ask me later, but it's an opinion on a non-essential issue, a non-essential for following Jesus. But one thing was very clear. There were people who were angry because of what they were seeing on this post or this article and the Instagram account. There are individuals who declared that would, they would stop listening to these pastors' sermons, that they would stop going to these pastors' churches. There were others who didn't believe in Jesus who pointed out, this is why I don't ever want to go to church. While these leaders are exercising their freedom, there's ripe opportunity to create a stumbling block, a hindrance for others. And some of the, these leaders actually have kind of argued back and insisted and justified that they have freedom to wherever, whatever they want, just like anybody else. But that has created spiritual harm. Romans 14, 20, it reads, do not for the sake of food, you could fill in anything in there, destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean. You, you do have freedom, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. A very similar passage in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, 24, it says, I have the right to do anything you say. This is what you say, but not everything is beneficial. You say, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but, for the, but the good of others. You can have a clear conscience about the true God-given freedom within the boundaries of Scripture, but Apostle Paul is saying it's certainly sinful to act with a disregard or an, in, an indifference to the harm that you do to the family of God.
What you do, what you don't do matters. It affects the people around you. And all of us, you, me, we have influence on at least one other person in our lives. 19th century uh, British pastor Charles Spurgeon was known to smoke a cigar 30 minutes before every Sunday service to the glory of God. It was in his schedule to smoke a cigar to the glory of God 30 minutes before every Sunday service. What would you do if I walked in smelling like cigars? Spurgeon became so famous and popular in the United Kingdom that one day he was walking down the street and saw a sign, uh, uh, an advertisement that read, we sell the cigar that Charles Spurgeon smokes. It bothered him so much, he quit that habit. He came to see that what was for him a freedom might cause others to stumble, and he cared more about not harming his brothers and sisters spiritually than pleasing himself physically. Just because you and I can do something and have no guilt before God does not mean it's beneficial. Apostle Paul is saying, out of love, we must decide to never cause spiritual harm and destruction in others. And the last principle, do, is grammatically maybe not correct, do pursue peacemaking and upbuilding, mutual upbuilding. How do, you, how do we preserve unity in the family of God with differing opinions on non-essential matters? Is to pursue peacemaking and upbuilding of one another. Verse 17, it reads, the kingdom, for the kingdom of God is not a matter or of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the first time in the, in the entire letter that Apostle Paul uses the phrase, the kingdom of God. For the Apostle Paul, the kingdom of God is the coming reality, it's the future reality that changes everything today. The kingdom of God is not going to be concerned with what we can do or what we can't do. The kingdom of God is going to be about the things that will last forever, the eternal things. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. One Bible scholar rephrases verse 17 and he says, The kingdom is not about externals, but about eternals. The kingdom of God is not about externals, but about eternals. In the matters of differing opinions, if we focus our attention not so much on the behavior of one another, but rather whether we're exhibiting righteousness, peace, and joy, then giving up our freedom like, like Spurgeon should be an easy decision. Giving up the need to be right if you're weak in the faith and you're looking at other people around you and you're saying things like, I can't believe so-and-so does blank. Don't they know that's wrong? If you think those thoughts often, if you are about the kingdom of God, you can let go of the need to be right. And you can care for your brother or sister and want them to walk in righteousness, walk in the peace of God, walk with the joy of God. 
it should be an obvious choice. Verse 19, it says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. That word pursue there, it means to chase with haste and intensity. Chase with haste and intensity. Pursue the things that promote peace and building up with one another, of one another with haste and intensity. And I will be very open with you that it is so easy to judge others, even here at Cornerstone, in your heart secretly. It's so easy to do that, but it's hard work to pursue peace by confessing your judgment and asking for forgiveness. That's what unity looks like. It's easy to despise others by gossiping about their habits that you don't approve of. It's hard work to have humble conversations and to ask questions directly to the people you don't agree with. It's easy to keep the status quo of keeping peace and not tearing each other's down, right? Like actively not tearing each other down. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just keeping the peace. I'm not going to disturb anything. It's far harder to make peace and build others up. It's very easy to leave a friend group and even leave Cornerstone Church for another one if you find people who don't agree with you. It's hard work to stay and persevere and preserve unity in this family. In the 12th century, Italian monk Anselm of Canterbury, he wrote this. The restless believer who will not sink into community is like a tree that cannot thrive because it is frequently transplanted or often disturbed. If he or she often moves from place to place at his or her own whim, or remaining in one place is frequently agitated by hatred, he or she never achieves stability with roots of love. He or she grows weary. He or she does not grow rich in the fruitfulness of good works. There is something about persevering and trying to preserve unity in a church family that is actually so good for you. It is easy. There's so many good churches. If you're here for the first time, I could tell you about a lot of good churches in Boston. If you would please. But once you get there, commit, persevere, and preserve the unity of whatever church you're at. Living out sincere love within the family of God is hard work, but it's work that's full of divine worth, full of divine reward. And the main reason why we need to do this is because of what we've heard throughout the entire letter to the Romans. Because we've heard that God welcomed us by having his son, Jesus Christ, give up his heavenly rights and freedom. He was in perfect, intimate communion with his heavenly father. He gave that up, his freedom. He could have chosen to stay there but out of a desire 
to please the Father, out of a desire for us to be welcome to God, he came to earth. Jesus died so that others would live, you and me, and even those whose opinions you don't agree with. And God sent Jesus to us, and then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us so that we would know God's love and then show it to one another and to the unbelieving world. And through the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to make the kingdom of God visible through righteousness, peace, and joy within the family of God. When those who don't know Jesus yet come into contact, I pray with Cornerstone Church that they would see that we are living for purposes that are otherworldly, that are supernatural, that are heavenly, that cause us to live radical love that can't be found anywhere else. And Apostle Paul, to wrap up this section of the letter, he writes this in chapter 15, 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul is praying for our lifelong faithfulness. He wants us to be encouraged until our dying days that we would be unified, that together we would lift up one singular voice of making much of God, the God who saved us, the God who redeems us, the God who uses us and puts us out into mission. The purpose of preserving unity in the family of God is so that we would glorify God with one voice. As far as it's in the power of Pastor Bill, Pastor Linda, Pastor Danny, myself, Chris, ministry interns, ministry leaders, the leadership team, spiritual overseers, Cornerstone Church is on a mission to make much of Jesus Christ. There's a scene in the film Gladiator, and if you haven't seen it, come on now. Um, There's a scene in the film Gladiator, where the main character, Maximus, he gets thrown with a ragtag group of untrained warriors forced to fight in games, battling to the death. And they're only equipped with helmets, shields, and spears. And they're being pursued by people, warriors, trained warriors in full armor, riding in chariots. And Maximus, as a former general, He takes charge for his his survival and the survival of this group. And he says, whatever comes out of these gates, we have a better chance of survival if we work together. Do you understand if we stay together, we survive? I would say in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, it's much stronger than that. It's not just survive. We're going to succeed. We're going to overcome. We're going to conquer. We're going to experience victory. In John chapter 17, before Jesus goes to the cross, he prays for us. Do you know that? He prays this. He says, May they... 
be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. May they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know you have sent me and that you love me just as much, uh, you love them as much as you have loved me. Jesus prays that for us. He wants us to experience love between one another so that God's love would be known to the world and that we would prove in our actions that we're loved just as much as God loves Jesus. Cornerstone, we're a church on mission. We are a community meant to make God's love known, and it starts by preserving unity in this church family. We cannot judge. We should not judge and despise one another. We must not stumble or destroy, cause spiritual harm to one another. And we must pursue peace, make peace, and build each other up. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and Cornerstone from the very beginning was your idea. It was not about whoever founded it. But when you sent Jesus to the world, that's where it comes from. That in saving rebellious sinners, people who knew nothing of you, to come to know the extravagant love of God, that our only response is to live for you. Our only response is to be willing to reflect what Jesus did, that the humility that he showed, we want to show that to one another in the family of God and to those who do not yet know you. So we pray for every person here every person who follows you to commit once again today to preserve the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. We pray for those who do not yet know you in this room. We're so glad that they're here and you're so, you must be so glad that they're here. We pray for them to come into direct contact with that radical, extravagant love that they would know clearly the reason why we even show it is because of Jesus. Father, keep us far, far away from judging and despising each other. Keep us far, far away from stumbling each other and creating hindrances for each other. And instead, that we would devote our energy and time and even our resources into making peace and building each other up so that we would make you known in this world. Transform us, even if it's just a little today, so that we would walk with you. We would experience you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.